Welcome to A Waldorf Journey, a podcast for teachers, parents, students, and people who are passionate about Waldorf education. I'm Meredith, and I'm glad you're here. You can find show notes for this episode along with a lot more useful content on my website, awaldorfjourney.com. While you're there, sign up for the newsletter to receive updates about new content on the blog and podcast. You can also follow me on Twitter, Facebook, and Instagram as A Waldorf Journey. Today is Sunday, May 13th. It's Mother's Day, and this is episode number 27. I'm really glad to be talking with you today, mostly about the movable classroom. I've learned a few things after working with this format for nearly a year, and there are some things I really love about it, and I'm happy to talk to you about that. So let's go ahead and start the journey. Hello, everyone. I'm so glad you're here listening with me. As I mentioned in the intro, this episode is all about the movable classroom. And I also wanted to share some of the things that I am really excited about now that it's springtime. I realize it might not be spring as you're listening to this episode, but it is here. And so here and now. And so I wanted to just share some things about spring that I am really excited about and also about the movable classroom. I have to tell you that the movable classroom is probably the thing that I get the most questions about. Anytime anyone sees one of my um, Instagram posts or um, what a photo in my blog and sees that we use the movable classroom, I get a lot of questions about how it works and how I use it and benefits and drawbacks and all of that. And I know that when I was making the decision about whether I was going to use the movable classroom, um, I did a lot of searching around for that kind of information and there was not much out there. So I'm really happy to share what I know and what I've learned after working with movable classroom for almost a year. And, um, and I'd love to hear those of you who use the movable classroom in your own classes. Um, I'd love to hear what you do and benefits and how you have it set up and what you like about it and what the challenges are. So that's mostly what this episode is all about. But before we get started, I wanted to just mention a few things in the way of bookkeeping. And that is, first of all, if you want to stay up to date with updates on the blog and the podcast, you can get my email list or you can get on my email list by texting the word Waldorf, all in caps, to 444-999. I realize you're probably on the go as you're listening and, you know, maybe out walking the dog or whatever. So this is a really easy way to just get on my email list and stay up to date with things that are happening on the blog and podcast. So So do that. You'll get a message back with an option to enter your email address, and then you'll get added to the list. So I send out updates maybe three or four times a month um, when there's something new on the blog or podcast. I don't spam you or anything like that. So um, feel free to do that and get some good Waldorf content into your inbox. Um, Also, if you really appreciate this podcast, I've been noticing more and more reviews and star ratings. So I definitely appreciate that. So if you listen in Apple Podcasts, um, head over there and give either a star rating or a review. And that really helps other people to find the podcast. So there have been a lot more. So I really am grateful for those. And I am always wanting to know what you like to hear and what you want to hear more of and, you know, what is kind of uninteresting to you. So um, definitely let me know. So so head over there and do that. And then also, if you really feel I'm grateful for this podcast or the work that I'm doing on the blog. One of the ways that you can support is to head on over to Patreon. And that's P A T R E O N dot com. And I've linked it in the show notes. And you can just become a sponsor for a Waldorf journey. And I really appreciate that. It's 
you know, purely out of the goodness of your heart, like supporting something that you really believe in. So um, if that, if a Waldorf journey is something that you really believe in, I would be really grateful for your support. So um, yeah, it's kind of a novel idea, maybe the NPR model of podcast support, but head on over there. There's a link in the show notes. And then finally, if you have a business that you think my audience would be interested in, whether it's Waldorf supplies or dolls or books or homeschooling, crafting materials, and you want want me, you want my audience members to know about it, get in touch because I have people asking all the time for these different kinds of resources. Um, a lot of people are asking me about early childhood resources. So if you are somebody who really appeals to that, um, that group of people, get in touch because I don't do a lot when it comes to early childhood. I mostly talk about the grades and, you know, Waldorf family life. So um, anyway, email me at meredith at awaldorfjourney.com and we can see if it's a good fit and maybe a, you can become a sponsor for the blog and I can let my audience members know about the great stuff you've got going on and it'll be a win-win. So, all right, now that that's out of the way, let's go ahead and talk about the spring and what's going on and why I really love this time of year. You know, I always like to give a little update about what's going on um, with me and my students and that kind of thing. And so I thought this would be a good way to do it. Um, I'm also just really uh excited about this time of year and it's it it's a really interesting time here we are in may it's um spring and it's really to me it's all about beginnings and endings and they're all kind of happening at the same time so um you know i'm one of those people i really love to start projects and i really love to finish projects but i'm kind of one of the when it comes to that middle time where it's like oh it gets to be a little bit of a slog so so i have to really make sure i set up for myself some strong rhythms to get myself through that middle time, you know, kind of when it comes to the school year, at least for me, it's really January and February where it's like, oh, what are we doing now? <laughs> I have to really set myself up to maintain that enthusiasm to get all the way through the end of the school year. But this time of year is super exciting because kind of both things are happening at the same time. So, um, you know, definitely we're looking at some finishing, right? Here we are. We're wrapping up in my class. We're wrapping up first grade. And so I'm taking a lot of time right now to look back on the work that my students have done, how they've changed over the course of the year, things that they've learned. And it is so satisfying to have that experience and to really look at everything that we've accomplished. And what I love to see is that you know, yes, they've learned a lot. You know, I've told a ton of stories. They have learned, you know, so many, so many of them really have perfected. They know all the names of the letters. They know the sounds of the letters. They are practicing sounding them out. They're spelling words, you know, a lot of these things. It's just so satisfying to work on. But what I'm more proud of than anything is that these students have really, and their parents too, have really come together as a community of individuals. And, um, you know, I've never, because I've never taught first grade before, I've never really seen that happen in the same way that I've seen it this year. And, you know, whereas at the beginning of the year, they were all different students who came from different um you know, different kindergarten classes, and they were very well connected with their kindergarten uh, friends, but now they're really one group of first graders, and it's it's taken some work for us to grow, to become, you know, this community that works together and supports each other, and I think about this um, all the time lately because we um every time there's a birthday in the class, the students make a birthday book for for the birthday person. And so we always start out our our lesson about making birthday books where, you know, somebody 
I ask if the class has a question for the birthday child about what kind of picture they might like in their birthday book. And so we go around and everybody asks, you know, things like, what's your favorite animal? What's your favorite color? You know, do you like rainbows? Do you like unicorns? Um, you know, it's very sweet. And, um, uh, at the beginning of the year, it felt really necessary for us to do this just so that we could make sure we really knew the person. And now we're going through this process where they're asking questions of the birthday person. And it almost feels like, why are we doing this? We know each other so well. You don't need to ask that person anything. Of course, we still do it because all year long we've asked everybody what they like. And, um, and it's kind of a fun experience for the birthday child to be on the spot and answer questions about things they really like and don't. So, but anyway, it's just one of those moments where it's like, I've realized, oh, they're really coming together and they know each other and understand each other pretty well. So it's a lot of fun. So for me as a teacher, this kind of finishing up time, you know, as as uh, wonderful it is, as it is to kind of reflect lovingly on all of the work that we've done, um, I'm also in end-of-year report mode and thinking a lot about the best format for presenting the work that we've accomplished this year uh, to the parents. And over the years, I've developed some pretty strong opinions about the best way to give feedback to parents. And and in the upper grades uh, to the students. So, and that mostly comes in the form of this end of year report. So in first grade, it's really all for the parents. And, um, and I really, over the years, I've been a fan of the narrative report, which I think a lot of teachers have, uh, have kind of uh, passed over for other methods of giving feedback. But um, I am, Anyway, I have lots of ideas, and you know, one of them is I'll be writing a narrative report. I'll also be uh, including a rubric because I really think that some parents want to know specifics about where their child is in terms of identifying the letters and the sounds and um, and some movement benchmarks that we're looking for. So, so I'm I'm looking on looking at including both. So. Um, but it's a lot of work really putting together these end of year reports and to do it in a really thoughtful way. So um, it takes a lot of motivation to get them done. And I know that um, my colleagues and I often, you know, share and support each other and cheer each other on as we're getting our reports done, knowing that our summer is just waiting for us as soon as they're done. So if you are in that boat and you are needing a little bit of motivation and encouragement to get your end of year reports finished, then you might take a look at, um, I put together a couple of years ago, a little um, end of year report. I call it my 30 days till summer challenge where um, it's it's a little um, uh, guide that will walk you through writing your reports and help you to know the things that you need to pay attention to and um, give you a little encouragement along the way. So I'll link to that in the show notes as well. But yeah, definitely check that out. And um, and I, I think it'll, it'll help you. It was the first thing I turned to when I started uh, thinking about my reports. And there are a few resources in that guide that will really help you to write them and help you to determine the kind of format that you want to use for your end of year reports. So then the other thing that this time of year is really all about is starting. And though second grade for my class is not for a few more months in September, I'm thinking a lot about second grade and I've signed up for summer trainings. I'm giving a lot of thought to the things that have gone really well this year and how that will manifest and what it will look like in second grade. And, um, and that's really exciting to me. You know, I've ordered my supplies for next year. I, um, you know, have kind of scoped out the classroom that I'll be in and I've thought about little things I want to do to it and maybe some repairs that need to be made. So it's very exciting, um, to be thinking about and, um, yeah, and I would really encourage 
encourage you if you are also in that situation where you are thinking about preparation for next year and how you're going to get that done, um, I have a guide that is all about um, all about your summer curriculum planning. And um, right now, <clears throat> quite a few people have signed up for it, and it's. It's a video course that will really walk you through all the different aspects of your planning, and um, it maps out really pretty precisely the way that I plan out my year and gives you a bit of a roadmap to follow. So um, I will link that in the show notes as well. And um, if you do sign up for that course, I really want to know about it, um, partly because I am thinking about forming um, a bit of some kind of group over the summer, and I'm really thinking about the format that it will take. So if you're listening to this months into the future, then maybe this won't really speak to you. But um, if you are, you know, listening to this in real time and you're looking at the summer of 2018 and you're needing to plan for the next school year and you'd like to form a little support group around that, please reach out. Send me an email at Meredith at a Waldorf Journey. And I'm trying to think about different formats that we might be able to use to do that and check in with each other and support and encourage each other along the way. And, um, you know, I know that some groups like mastermind groups meet on um, Google chat or something like that. So anyway, I'm, I'm looking into that a little bit. I've heard from a few people who are interested in participating. And if you are interested in joining a group that is all about supporting each other in planning for the next school year this summer and, you know, having maybe some kind of benchmarks or checking in, holding each other accountable in one way or another, please reach out and let me know. And I'm, I'm really excited about making something like this happen. Um, I just have to think through the way that it will come about. So Again, email me at Meredith at a Waldorf Journey so we can talk about that. Okay, all right, finally, now I want to move on and I really want to talk about what this episode is all about, which is the movable classroom. So we're about 17 minutes in, so um, I have a lot to say about this, so I don't know, maybe this will be part one. We'll we'll have to see how long I go on, but... Um, yeah, so the movable classroom, I'll just tell you a little bit about what I know about it. I've done I've done some research to when I was really uh, first considering having the movable classroom in my class, and I had such a hard time finding any information out there. I didn't even, I couldn't even really find out whose idea this was, how this came about. I found that there was a Facebook group, but it was pretty quiet. There wasn't a lot that really was shared on there. I scrolled back through all of the old posts and, you know, didn't didn't really find a lot. Some photos of different teachers sharing their um, their setups, but um, there's just not a lot of information out there about it. And there was something about having a movable classroom that felt very intuitively right to me when I thought about my students who were coming from kindergarten, which was, you know, very play-based, Waldorf kindergarten. I will say every single one of my 27 uh, first graders came from our kindergarten. So I knew exactly what their experience was like, and it was all about play. There was nothing like a, be- a a desk in their experience, and so for that reason alone, I was really gra- I was really interested in the movable classroom idea. Um, and the way that it's kind of set up at our school is that there's a bit of an expectation that teachers, first grade teachers will begin with the movable classroom and then they'll see what their preference is. And some teachers, we do have a set of desks that the first grade um, can use. And some teachers have switched to those desks right away. Um, Or I, I think the earliest was a class that switched to desks 
after Thanksgiving. Um, other teachers have kept movable classroom all the way through the year. Others switched after Christmas. There was a very, you know, it, it really depends on teacher style and preference. And so I looked into all of these things as I was preparing to have movable classroom in my class. And in all honesty, I really wasn't sure. I wasn't sure how I had never taught first grade before, and I didn't really know how my teaching style was going to translate into a first grade classroom. So I just thought, okay, I'll start with it and I'll have a plan for switching uh, to desks if necessary and or if I'm really uncomfortable with it or if it doesn't seem like the right thing for my students and then we'll go from there. Um, and ultimately, I absolutely love the movable classroom so much so that it's a little bit hard for me to wrap my mind around the idea of having desks and chairs next year. So um, and I have, because I've had such a positive experience with it, I have some real thoughts about the best way to set it up and to make sure that you have a positive experience with it as well. So, um, and I'll describe a little bit about what our setup is. So we have these benches that are, I wish I had the measurement, but they are um, a little bit taller so that if a first grader is sitting at um, on their bench some of them can can put their feet flat on the floor but not all of them can and the benefit of that is that it's high enough so that when they sit on their cushions um, you know they're not kind of stooped over so um, so it's it's a little bit of a sweet spot to find the the height measurement of the bench but um, but that's how, you know, and, you know, I suppose it would be ideal for different students to have different heights of benches, but that kind of changes how you can work with them in the classroom. But um, so anyway, we have benches and two students um, sit at a bench and um, and then we have cushions that are like they're yoga cushions. They're kind of they're round and um, and they're high enough that um, when students sit on them, they can actually uh, if they if they do tuck their legs behind them as they're sitting on the cushion, it's more like they're kneeling. And then but then very often students will cross their legs um, in front of them. And um, in the blog post that goes along with this episode, I'm going I'll include some pictures. If you follow me on Instagram, I recently posted a bunch of pictures of various ways students sit on their cushions at their benches. So um Anyway, I'll include those pictures in the blog post that goes with this. So so I have, yeah, benches, two students to a bench, and uh, cushions that they can sit on when we're using our benches for writing. And, um, and then I have four rows of benches, and there are four benches in each row with an aisle down the middle. So... Um, yeah, so that's a brief uh, description of how we work with them. And um, it does mean because there are no desks that have, you know, an area for storage or anything like that, all the supplies are stored on a shelf, which I actually really like because that means nobody has a desk that is really messy. Um, I can... Um, access all of their materials whenever I want, um, which I could do, you know, if they were in their benches, but or in their desks, but it's just so much easier when they're all on the shelf, I can go and grab a bunch of books, you know, as I wish. And then also, there's this idea that their supplies don't belong to them, where they might have a, their their views about how they can treat their supplies might change based on ownership. So if they know that they their crayons are their crayons and they don't care if their crayons have a chip out of them or, you know, whatever, then they might, you know, 
yeah, they might do that. They might not be as careful with their supplies as I would like them to be. So I really appreciate that we just have communal supplies when it's time to do our, our book work together, they'll get a crayon roll and it may be one that they've had before. It may not be. So, um, so I think it's, it just helps to support, you know, this is how we do things together in first grade rather than, you know, individualized, you know, you can treat your things however you wish. So the way the way that our daily rhythm works, it's a little more than I can really get into uh, in this podcast, but um, there are things that we have to think about. The, there are things about the movable classroom that really factor into the way that we run our day. So maybe I'll just mention a few of those things. So First is we have kind of an opening um, where we get just a little bit warmed up before we speak the morning verse. And I will say that is probably the time when we get the most creative with the use of our benches. And I'll talk a little bit about that next. Um, Then we have our circle. And um, I, yeah, I'll talk a bit about how that, how circle is definitely made easier by having benches. Um, and then we have our uh, working time where they are, you know, sitting on their cushions and working at their benches. And then we have story time. And that's pretty much the rhythm of, of our daily school di- or of our main lesson. And, um, and of course, we have to think about the benches and how they you know, impact this and how we're going to work with the benches. So, so that's what I'm really going to talk about in this episode. So, um, so first of all, I wanted to mention, um, number one, the primary benefit that I see with the movable classroom is flexibility. And, uh, the reason I say this is that there are some games and activities that I like to do with my students that require a large open space in the middle of the room. Because we have movable classroom, we can have our room clear and a big open space in the middle in less than a minute. And it's, I love this. It means that, you know, there are certain games that my students love to play. And if we had to move chairs and desks and all of these things, anytime we wanted to play those games, then we definitely wouldn't do it very often. And so I really appreciate the flexibility. Um, It also allows us to um, set them up in different ways for the way that depending on the way that we want to work. So there are certain times of our day when I want to allow a somewhat informal working time when students can sit together, chat with their friends while they do their work. It gives one, it helps them to learn how to do that, that they can work and chat, you know, be social and get their work done, which is a skill. It's important for them to know how to do that rather than think, oh, it's this is a free time when I can do whatever I want. They can still get the work done and chat and enjoy each other's company. So, so I really, um, like to allow them a chance to do that kind of thing. Um, but there are lots of other ways that we set up our benches so that um, we can uh, chat with one another and enjoy each other and work in different ways. Um, oh, the other thing that I really appreciate about giving them that social time is that it gives me a chance to really um, help support their social work with one another. So it's really important to me that I hear how they talk to each other so that I can, you know, give them some guidance in the social realm. They really need that. And um, I try to catch as much as I can when we're outside at recess as well, but in the classroom is a really good chance for me to just listen and hear how they talk to each other and give them some pointers and suggestions for how they can be kind to each other. So 
So I really appreciate the flexibility of the movable classroom and how we can use the space in so many different ways in a, like very simply. It just does not take very much time or effort to move things out, move them back and be ready. So the next big benefit that I see with the movable classroom is the opportunity for movement that it gives. Now, I did not make use of all of the possibilities. I'm sure there are lots of different ways that a person could use the movable classroom. And in fact, if you search and, you know, do a Google search, come look for images and pictures of all kinds of different ways people have used the movable classroom, you'll find what I did, which I found people who had stacked benches three high, a big pile of cushions that kids would jump down into. Now, I did not do any of this stuff. I, I just, I guess I felt a little, um, more conservative about it and wanted to make sure that we were safe and careful. And um, yeah, so I, I just wasn't as willing to stack them up and um, do some of those more daring uh, arrangements. But um, anyway, there are still lots, I still found many different ways that my students could move with their benches. And um, there are all kinds of different, and I'll talk about this in a minute, but if you think about the different ways that your students could interact with their benches, then that will really help you to come up with ideas for creating those opportunities. So every day my students stand on, jump off, sit on, and write on their benches. Oh, and walk across. Um, they don't walk from one to another, but they walk across their bench. We do every now and then turn them upside down and use the the bottom part as a balance beam. There are just so many different ways. We do the only we do stack them in order to create a little bit of a tunnel that they can crawl under. Um, but anyway, there are lots of different ways and I really appreciate the opportunity for movement, which kind of leads me into the next piece that I wanted to talk about, which is about core strength and one of the things about the movable classroom benches is there's not a back on them. And so the most common posture that my students use with their benches is that they sit on their bench. So when I tell a story or when we're opening class, anytime that they are just attentive to what their teacher is saying, they are sitting on their bench. And um, because the bench doesn't have a back, they really have to hold themselves up. And I can't help but think that that is really building some core strength. In fact, I had a couple of students who complained about back aches, back aches at the beginning of the year or maybe even for a day or two after we returned from a break. And I really think that that's what it was all about. They were redeveloping those muscles. And when I've had parent meetings, the parents, I've, I've had to, you know, figure out ways to bring in chairs and different things like that because the parents get uncomfortable sitting on uh, the benches um, be, without having a back to it. So, so I really think that that is another great benefit of those, uh, of those movable classroom benches. So, um, and then f next, I wanted to talk a little bit about um, when we when I mentioned about the different ways that my students interact with their benches. Um, the my biggest tip for for working with the movable classroom is to think about what are the different ways that your students are going to interact with their benches. And then set a framework and an expectation for what that looks like for them. And really, your first few weeks of school are going to be all about creating that framework and teaching the expectations for how they will interact with their benches in a safe way or in a way that, you know, is what you expect. So we tend to... Uh, think that, oh, children, ought, they know how to sit on a bench, but it really, you do need to teach them. <laughs> you need to show them 
what when you say sit on your bench what does that mean where should their hands be where should their feet be where on the bench should they be um and that is really just the simplest posture there are so many others when it comes to standing on their bench what is the safest way to get up on your bench uh if you're walking on your bench what does that look like how many steps will it take to get across your bench you know should you do it in two where should your steps be should they be on the center of the bench or on the edges will it tip over if you step on the edges all of these things are things that you should explore with your students um i for example when my students sit on their bench they were taught that their hands should be um, in their laps and um, they know that that is the posture that they should um, assume when that what when it's time to sit on their benches um, if they are uh, jumping off their bench they know that they need to jump only down to the floor and then back up to the next bench down to the floor up to the next bench but they cannot jump from bench to bench or they can't step from bench to bench um and the, really those are my rules you might have different rules but think through all of these different postures these different ways of interacting with your benches and set a framework for it and um, i created a little chime that i would play a melody i would play on the glockenspiel that would indicate to my students the posture that i wanted for them to assume and um it's been really helpful i don't have to use my voice they just hear the the tune and that they know then how they're meant to be so um so anyway it takes a pro it's a it's a process the other thing you need to think through of course is they're not having supplies at their desks right so that you have to think through a process for handing out all of the supplies what does it look like to pass out cushions in a safe way do you does everybody just run over and get their own cushion or do you um, pass them down the line what how do what does it look like to pass from one student to another these are things you have to plan for and if you do then you'll avoid some of the troubles and and even more than that you i mean so you may not avoid they still may i have certainly had students who have passed each other cushions over their heads or tossed them to each other or thrown them down on the floor um but i know that i can follow up with them and say oh you know we've been over this you know how you're supposed to pass your cushion and you know i just give them a reminder because they they know we've talked about it so so definitely think through those things and know that you can follow up with your students and you can hold them accountable for something that you know that you have taught them that you've gone over with them <clears throat> so next um i wanted to just talk about the w sit now this was the piece of information that i learned about when I was researching movable classroom that had me the most um, concerned. And, you know, am I really doing the right thing for my students by using movable classroom? And WSIT, you probably know, it's when they are sitting on the floor and their legs are kind of splayed out behind them and, um, or their feet are behind them. They're, you know, so their legs make the shape of a W. Well, um, I was really concerned about this and I wanted to make sure or I thought to myself, okay, that's going to take a lot of management. I'm really going to need to identify that, help my students to know when they're not supposed that they're not supposed to sit that way and correct them when I see it happening. And my experience has actually been totally the opposite. <laughs> and I didn't I haven't had to worry about it really at all and um there are a few reasons for that one is that um i really did some digging and i found some studies that really indicated that the w sit is not that much of a concern even if you do see students sitting in that way 
So, um, I, you know, I didn't feel as confident in that. Uh, you know, I did see that there were two, you know, two sides of this argument that some people say the WSID is really harmful and others say it's not anything that you need to worry about. So, um, and so I, you know, I didn't really know where to go with that, given that I saw both sides of that argument. So I really decided to just watch my students and see if, one, I saw them sitting in the W-sit, and two, if I saw that that somehow created some, um, I don't know, the, I guess the best way I can think about it is some kind of over-flexibility, like they, that their legs kind of splay out that way. Anyway, I just decided to observe my students, I guess is what I'm saying. And what I saw was that the cushions that we use when, they are, when they're sitting at their benches are high enough that if they are sitting on a cushion and their legs go out behind them, it is more like they are kneeling than them sitting in a W-sit position. So I really, once I noticed that, I just felt so much more at ease that I really did not need to worry about the W-sit. Their bottoms are up higher, their legs do go behind them, but they're more like they're sitting on their knees. They're just being supported in sitting on their knees. So so as soon as I saw that, and I read, you know, studies that said the WSIT is nothing to worry about, I just quit worrying about it. <laughs> and there are times that, you know, students get a little squirmy on their be- on their cushions or their, you know, shifting position and they'll the you know, one leg might go into that kind of splayed out W position, but I just don't worry about it. So that's my recommendation <laughs> as far as that. Now, if you do see that your students are constantly sitting in that W position where their bottoms are flat on the floor and their legs are splayed out in that W position, then I would think about that. I would look at it and see what you can do to prevent it or get some more information about what the what are the reasons why you want to avoid that. But for my purposes, I just quit worrying about it. So that's my recommendation. (laughs) Um, And oh, and I will say some teachers I know have used little benches rather than cushions. And I do think because originally when I taught my students how to sit, I told them to sit on their cushions and have their legs go crisscross in front of them. And some of them were just not comfortable with that and that and they switched to this other position where their legs were behind them, but they were kind of on their knees. And so I just let it go. But I think that using these little benches might um, encourage a different way of sitting. It might really, you might get the benefit of them having their legs in front of them. So But some of my students really sit like that anyway. So you'll see if you go if you go over to the blog post that is associated with this uh, podcast, you will see the um, photographs of the different ways my students sit uh, with their cushions. And um, yeah, and you can see that they they generally are not doing the W sit. So it's good. I feel fine about it. Um, Okay, next, number six is um, a drawback, a definite drawback. And I really thought about ways to avoid this drawback, and that is writing. So there's no doubt in my mind that the the optimal situation for writing is to sit in a chair at a desk. And um, you can really make sure, in that way, you can make sure that feet are flat on the floor, the desk is at the proper height, the chair is at the proper height. Like these are all things that you have a lot of control over when you're using a desk and a chair. And you don't really have that when it comes to the movable classroom. Benches are typically the same size. The cushions are the same size. You could probably get pretty refined in looking at the height of the cushion and the height of the bench, but I didn't do that. And um, so writing 
is definitely not as good, I would say, in the movable classroom. However, writing takes up about 15 to 30 minutes of our school day. So out of our, what is it, five hour school day, they're writing for 15 to 30 minutes. So writing or drawing. So they're sitting in that position working at their bench. So I'm just not too worried about it at all. And the benefits far outweigh this drawback. So I've been fine with it. Um, Next is drawback number two, which is squirminess. And I will tell you, um, a few of my students are very squirmy on their benches. They kind of swirl around. Sometimes they lay down. Sometimes they slide over. So they're really right next to their bench partner and not giving enough space. I have students who kind of turn over upside down and lay down looking at the ground. Anyway, the the bench does not provide a lot of structure for how they are to sit. So what this means is that you need to provide that structure. <laughs> and so that's why I you know, talked about really providing a framework for how are they meant to sit, what are they supposed to do at all of these in all of these different positions. So um, so really think about that. It does require a lot of management. I will def I will say that for sure. Um, but what I appreciate about it is that it allows me to see and observe those students who have a tendency towards that squirminess. And often this is a clue to me that those students need some extra movement work and maybe they need, you know, some kind of movement therapy of some sort, or they just need more movement within our school day. But it's a really good, um, good, uh, I guess, learning for me to thing for me to observe, I wouldn't, I wouldn't want to take the the uh, the bench away and prevent so that I wouldn't know, I would know that my students are needing that extra movement work. So it's just another one of those kind of learning gives you a clue to what your students are needing. So, and then finally, the last thing is another drawback, which is a benefit also, <laughs> drawback slash benefit, and that is teacher help. And one of my colleagues uh, really did not like the movable classroom, and her her reason, the reason she didn't like it was that it did not work with her style of working with her students. And she described a scenario where students need, a student might need some really one-on-one hand-in-hand teacher support to, you know, form the letters properly or um, to, you know, complete a drawing or whatever it might be that the teacher really might need to get right down on the student's level, helping them to complete their work, you know, being really right there with them. And the benches are so low that it it makes it difficult for the teacher to do this. I mean, that is the stuff that backaches are made of for sure. And that's what this teacher was describing, that really hunching over and trying to help the student in this way um, was uncomfortable for her. And it really prevented her from providing that support in a way, in the way that she was most comfortable doing and really wanted to provide. So, um, I have had a different experience with that, and I think one of them comes from the fact that I have a large class, and this teacher had a large class too. She just tended to work with her large, you know, with her large class differently than I do. But um, because I have a large class, I don't tend to work with my students in that one-on-one hand-in-hand way where I will, you know, really take the child's hand, you know, put my hand over the child's hand and help them form the letters. I tend to not do that. And I have actually seen that my students don't need that level of support. Um, I can give them some um, pretty clear instruction and have them follow it. Uh, without, 
you know, without real concern. Um, I do, and and I have actually had, a, the, the experience I have had has been really different in that having the student's work be lower helps me to be able to really scan the group and get a sense for where everybody is. And, you know, are you all with me? Am I going too fast? Am I going too slow? Um, is there a letter that I need to go over and, you know, help you to know how to form, like all of these things. Is there part of the drawing that we need to work on more? I can see their work so much more easily because it is a little bit lower to the ground. So I can just do a quick scan and see everyone's work. So, so I really appreciate that. And like I said, I haven't, it's, not necessarily my teaching style to do that kind of hand-in-hand support work anyway, and I haven't seen that my students need it. So, But if that is your style and you really do like to get right at the level of your students and hold their hand as they're doing their work, then the movable classroom might make it more challenging for you to do that. So, so think about that. Um, Overall, I will say that my experience of the movable classroom has been fantastic. I can't um, imagine, I'm starting to try to imagine moving on to desks and bench and chairs next year, which I'm sure will be good too, but I have really so appreciated the movable classroom. Um, And the one thing that I will say about it is that it does require a lot of holding. And you really have to think through every detail of how your students will move about the room and in relationship with their benches. And you'll need to, you know, correct things, lay this out ahead of time, and be pretty diligent about it um, from the outset. And um, I think if you do that, then your experience by the end of the year, you'll probably be feeling like I am, that it's just been such a positive experience. And the students have benefited so much from that additional opportunity for movement. So um, it's helped me to think in ter- when I think about moving on to desks and chairs next year, um, there are aspects of movable classroom that I would like to hold on to and that I think we can. And it'll just mean a little extra work. We have to move, you know, desks and chairs next year and we'll have to think about providing um, how we can use our chairs to move uh, in different ways. But um, but I've really, as you can probably tell, I've really enjoyed the movable classroom and um, yeah, I'm a huge supporter. So um, if you have any further questions about movable classroom and how to set it up and um, all of that, first of all, of course, check the blog post that goes along with this podcast. And uh, I'll have lots of links and things there that so that you can learn more. Like I said, there's not a whole lot out there, but um, there's there are some things and I'm always happy to answer questions. So Feel free to, you know, send me an email. Meredith at awaldorfjourney.com is the best place to reach me. And I'd love to talk with you about movable classroom and how to make it work in your class. So um, anyway, any questions, please reach out and uh, I will talk to you soon.